to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Have you noticed? Now, today is Communion Sunday, but in the Scripture, it's not called Communion. It's called the Lord's Table. If you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, if you have a Bible like mine, you might find the heading, the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Supper. As a kid growing up, myself in church, we always called it the Lord's Table because it was a time to eat and drink to the Lord's glory. I just turned my phone to silent. <laughs> if you want to turn yours to silent, you could also. So it's the Lord's table. It's a memorial meal that a church eats together with one another. Now, have you ever eaten, eaten a meal at a, at a stranger's home? You ever been invited over and had dinner with them? Have you noticed how from family to family, home to home, table to table, the manners are different? You guys haven't. <laughs> when I was growing up, my family was a reach-and-grab family. If you wanted the salt, you would just stand up and grab it if you wanted or reach across the table. We didn't have this, you know, always to the left or always to the right. We, we, <laughs> we never put the forks on the left. We put them anywhere. And that was just, that was just the way our family was. My, there was not a lot of decorum in my family. My mother really didn't care too much about it. My dad cared even less. And so, you know, elbows on the table, elbows on the table, biscuit in the left hand, fork in the right hand, so you can scoop the stuff to your fork, you know. And that's, that's, the, way we, that's the way we were. That's our family. And then when I got older, you know, started going to other people's houses, and maybe when I went, went to Valerie's family's home, you know, there's the fork, you know, and the spoon on the napkin on the left side of the thing, and there's the, the knife is over here. Everything's so nice and neat. Table, uh, what tablecloths, and uh, what's the thing that goes under your plate? That's placemats. <laughs> all, all that stuff is just appearing, and then you know that's just it. Just varied place to place, you know. And I would just reach across and get my food, you know, instead of passing, you know, and all, you know, all the rules that people have. Valerie and I, one time, we were invited. I was preaching at a church in Kansas, Valley Falls, Kansas. And this family, and I was filling a pulpit for them. Their pastor was out of town, and I wasn't a pastor back then. I was just a lay preacher. And we went to visit this. Uh, we, I preached at this church, and they invited us over for dinner for the afternoon service. And so we got over there, and they were frying chicken. And so we had to wait for them to fry the chicken, you know. So we're sitting around waiting. And then we get ushered into the dining room. And I saw things I didn't know existed on a dining room table. I didn't know forks had different sizes. Big forks, little forks. Big spoons, little spoons. Two knives. And then these little bowls, you know, and, and we sit down there and there's my kids, you know. Basically, I, I raised my kids as I was raised, reach and grab. <laughs> and, and there we are with all this, this fine dining layout, you know. And I was looking around thinking, what should I do? And, you know, because there's a guest preacher, you know, and preachers are supposed to have class. <laughs> supposed to have, <laughs> but I didn't have much. And so uh, we were getting the, giving the kids some food, you know, and, and I didn't know they had, they, had a, they had a bowl for the bread that you would get your biscuit and put it in a little bowl. Just, just very formal, very formal. But it varies place to place. Whenever I go to eat with somebody's house nowadays, I, always, I look at the, the setting, I think, okay, what kind of people do we have here? You see how many forks they have, and, and, uh, <laughs> and I don't put my elbows on. The, I always feel really at home when the, when the husband puts his elbow on the table. <laughs> I'm always looking for these things. Well, it varies place to place, manners. 
The Apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians 11, as he talks about the Lord's table, he's going to talk about the manners at the table, that this church, their manners have gotten bad. They're not giving the Lord's table due reverence, due concern. So there are problems here at the table. Problems at the table. Now let's take a reading from 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 through 34. Then I'll do my best to preach through all these verses without taking too long. This is the word of the Lord. In the following directives, I have no praise for you. For your meetings do more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you. And to some extent, I believe it. No doubt there have to be differences among you to show which of you have God's approval. And this this is a striking sentence. We'll come back to it. When you come together, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper you eat. It is not the Lord's Supper you eat. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. One remains hungry, another gets drunk. Don't you have homes to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? But what shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this? Certainly not. For I have received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined, so that we will not be condemned by the world, with the world. So then... My brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. And when I come, I will give further directions. And we trust the Lord to add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. Paul's talking about serious problems here in the church at Corinth. Serious problems. So serious that Paul says, when you guys are getting together, it's bad. You're assembling together. He says, when you come together as a church, this is a particular kind of assembly, a particular kind of gathering. When you guys come together as a church to eat this meal together, it's doing you more harm than good. This is a a fascinating thing because in Christianity, we're always trying to get people to come together, right? We're always trying to get people to come to church. But he says, your coming together is bad because when you're coming together, it's not to observe the Lord's table, you're not coming together to honor the Lord, to worship Him. You're coming together to satisfy yourselves. You've let this thing become all about you and not about Him. These are serious problems. He says when you come together, you are divided. Divided along what lines? Well, we know from the first few chapters of 1 Corinthians, they're, they're, they're divided along party lines. They have, I am of Apollos, and I am of a Paul. I am, I am of Peter. 
and I am of Christ. You're divided along these different viewpoints, these different emphases. You're divided. They're divided upon practices. They're exercise of Christian liberty. All these divisions are existing there. Striking, Paul says, to some extent, I believe it. I believe that you are divided. He's already said in 1 Corinthians, in, in chapter 3, that he can't speak to them like they're grown-ups. He has to speak to them like they're children because they're acting like children. Serious problems. Their focus is not on Christ. It is upon themselves. Paul says that when you come together to eat the Lord's table, it's, you're not waiting for everyone else to come around. Now, this is an interesting thing. And waiting. What does this waiting mean? In the, Corinth, in, the, in the religious culture of Corinth, feasting was a part of the worship of the idols. Feasting was a part of the worship of the idols. So when they would get together to worship the idols, they would have a lot of food, and they would have a lot of drink, and they would have kind of a, a party, kind of a feast, kind of a big wingding. You know how we feast when we worship football? <laughs> Around Super Bowl season? You know, all these things that people do, these feasting things. And they're getting together and they're feasting and, he's, and they're not sharing. This is a problem. They're, they've brought this, this uh, philosophy, this practice of feasting from the pagan religions into the Christian religions. Because Christians want to eat too, but they're getting carried away. They're taking care of themselves. They're not sharing. When a Christian church usually has a dinner here at their church, if we had a church-wide dinner, it would, what, what would we call it? Potluck. I want to be sure we all knew that use the same terms to describe it. Potluck. And everybody brings something and everybody gets to share in it, right? If you want some of mine, you can have some of mine and, and vice versa. We all share and share alike. In the church at Corinth, they were bringing their food together, but they're not sharing. They were focusing on themselves and they weren't waiting for people. Sometimes they were showing up for this, this meal and they were eating all the food and drinking all the wine. And when the other people would show up who didn't have as much, there was nothing left. And they said, sorry, you're out of luck. They weren't caring about one another. They'd become very selfish, very self-centered. Very self-centered. Look at the scripture here in verse 21. For as you eat, each of you goes ahead without waiting for anybody else. Without being concerned for anyone else, you are eating this meal. One remains hungry. Another gets drunk. Why don't you eat? Don't you have homes to eat, homes to eat and drink in? Paul says, don't you have a place where you can go and do this? This kind of gives us the idea that the, the purpose of the Lord's Supper, this memorial token meal, that its true purpose had been lost and had been replaced by something bigger, something grander, something more glorious. Now, if you, if you've, I've been a lifelong Baptist myself, Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be what? I'll be a Baptist dead. <laughs> Not anytime soon, I hope. <laughs> but you know, one of my friends, he was a he was a Baptist pastor for a long time, and uh, he converted. He became a Lutheran uh, a couple of years ago, and his main gripe, his main one of his driving reasons for becoming for converting to Lutheranism from being a Baptist was that he wanted to take communion every Sunday. He said, "I want I want to have communion every Sunday," and he said, "Baptists are bare memorialist." They don't think there's any kind of efficacy or grace in communion, which, which is true. 
We eat and drink this meal not as a means of receiving grace, but we eat and drink this meal and as a remembrance, as a celebration, as a memorial of Christ. And these people at Corinth, they, the meal had become more than a token meal, more than a memorial, more than a ceremony. It had become a full-on feast because that's how they worship the idols. And my friends, this is a serious problem even today, is people think you can worship God the same way you worship anything else. God is not to be worshipped like anything else. He is unique. He has outlined how he wants to be worshipped in Scripture, and we should do our best to worship him accordingly. We don't have the freedom to worship God how we see fit. We must worship him as he has commanded and shown us in his word. And this church at Corinth, they had been innovative in their worship, innovative in their observance of the Lord's table, and they had made it bigger and bigger and bigger until it's just a big mess. Until Paul says, you guys shouldn't even be doing this. These are striking words. Your meetings do more harm than good. You guys getting together is hurting you more than it's doing you good. What a condemnation. What a strong statement Paul is making to them. Then verse 19, he says, no doubt. There have to be differences among you. To show which of you have God's approval. There has to be differences among you to show which, who has God's approval. What, what does this mean? When I first read it, I want to read it as sarcasm. <laughs> the Paul's being sarcastic. But it doesn't seem to be, it's not really sarcastic. If you have a Bible with cross-references, it cross-references cross to 2 John, or 1 John, 1 John 2.19. Turn there with me and read that. 1 John 2.19. We'll read 18 and 19 because they go together. 1 John 2, 18. Dear children, this is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But they're going showed that none of them belonged to us. What is this talking about? Paul is going to say, Paul is going to say that these differences are revelatory. Paul said these divisions are going to tell us something about you. Because Paul is going to correct the church, and he knows that the persons whom he corrects, some of them will say, you know what, that's right. We need to, we need to repent, we need to change our ways, and submit to God's authority. And some people are going to go, Who does Paul think he is to tell me anything? Who made him the boss of me? I'll just go somewhere else. And they just take off. Paul says this division is for a reason. Those who submit to God's word. Now, I guess we have to give a word of caution here, right? How many of you are always submitted to God's word all the time? (laughs) not all of us but when you have you had this experience in your Christian life when you get when 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 you feel convicted by something something you're doing or you read in the Bible that something you're doing is wrong or hear the preacher say in a sermon something you're doing is wrong when you feel convicted about that what do you do 
Well, initially you don't really like it, do you? But what happens over time? You submit. You don't really, you, you, and sometimes you have to keep on resubmitting, right? How many times, anybody get spanked more than once for disobeying their parents? <laughs> but you get spanked, you'd submit, right? And then you'd, you had to kind of go through that cycle. Paul is saying here that these divisions are going to reveal something. It's not that the people are, it's just the little things. It's this ongoing, this persistence, this stubbornness to submit to what God says. This is how we're going to know who has God's approval. This is how we're going to know those who are saved and those who are not saved. Christians are not perfect people. But Christians are always repenting. They're always failing and repenting and trying to do better. This is the mark of the Christian life, of people who are given to repentance. Serious problems in this church. Look at the last reading there, verse 22. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you for this, for this division, for this carrying on? Should I praise you for it? Certainly not. I cannot praise you for it. Why? Because of what he has received from the Lord. This is what God has said. This next section is where Paul says that reverence for the Lord's table must be restored. They were treating the the Lord's table, they were treating it just like any other table. It was not special. They'd lost their reverence. And he says, what has Jesus said about this? I received from the Lord. This is a big statement because as far as we know, the Apostle Paul never met Jesus personally before the crucifixion in his his regular life. And that Paul, he received from the Lord himself direct revelation. And here's what Jesus is saying to Paul. On the night when he was betrayed, he says, We're, this, this eating and drinking is about my body. It's to be done in remembrance of me. This is my body, which is for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the drinking from the cup, this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's a time to revere and honor Jesus in a special way. Have you ever been to a funeral? You ever been to a funeral? Well, it's kind of a serious time, isn't it? You're not, not a time for goofing off or, or joking around. Although sometimes people do joke at funerals. They tell funny stories when they're giving their eulogies and sermons. Sometimes funny things happen at funerals. But overall, the attitude is one of reverence. You're commemorating the the life and death of a person. It's a special time. I've had the honor to conduct two, two funerals at the Fort Sill National Cemetery in Fort Sill, Oklahoma, where they bury soldiers. It's it's. If there's anything that marks that whole experience, it's honor. No horsing around. No wasted time. No flim-flam. Very serious. You're honoring the death of someone who served the country in the military. But this death here that we're honoring is extremely important. This is honoring the death of Christ. 
Look at verse 27. Paul says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This should be done in a special manner. Unworthy. The authorized version says unworthily. The Greek word can literally, literally be translated here as irreverently. Irreverently drinking the blood and eating the bread irreverently. Flippantly. So when you come in, we, we take the Lord's, we take the little, the little things back there, and we think about, we take them and, you know. The object itself is not, is not special. It's just regular stuff. But it symbolizes something that's important. So we should take it with seriousness, with thoughtfulness. It's about remembering Jesus in a way we don't always remember Jesus. It's a special time of remembrance. It's something that it seems like we can only do when we are together. The only time people take communion is when they're gathered together as a church. We don't take communion at home with just our wife and our kids. We don't take communion in a deer stand or a fishing shanty. We have to take it when we come together. It's something that the local church does together. It's special. It's not like anything else. It's, an, it's, a, it's a unique time to honor and think about and revere Jesus, to give reverence to him who has died for us. Paul also says in verse 27, something you should think about examining yourself for. A man ought to examine himself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Now, when I was a kid, this was the scary part. Because the preachers would say, you have to confess all the sins. Get all the sins out of your life before you take the Lord's Supper. Because if you take the Lord's Supper with sin in your life, you'll die. My friends, as a kid, we were, we were allowed to take communion until we were baptized. But I can remember when I was <laughs> a kid and it was, after I was baptized in the communion, in the communion. Remember, remember when we used to pass communion? It'd come down the aisle to you and you reach in there and grab that little cup and that little piece of cracker. <laughs> I used to sit there and look at it and I would think, oh Lord, I hope it's all taken care of. <laughs> I didn't want to look at my brother because I'd get mad immediately. <laughs> I was so afraid. So afraid. So I never could be sure if I could remember all the sins. But that's, that's a misapplication of the passage. That's not what it's talking about. If you are here and you put your faith in Christ, all your sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven. All of your sins past, present, and future, were punished on the cross. Punished on the cross. Punished on the cross. So what does this mean, unworthily? What should we be examining ourselves for? We should be examining ourselves to be sure 
that we're thinking about Christ, that he's the object. He says, this is to be done in remembrance of me. This is the purpose, to remember him. Examine yourself. What are your motives for taking the Lord's table? Are you taking the Lord's table just because everybody else is doing it? Are you taking the Lord's table just because it's expected of you? Or are you taking the Lord's table because you have come to know that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose again to pay for your sins? What's your motive? What's your mindset? Is it, are you doing it as an act of worship? Look at, the, look what the text says. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. When we take communion, it is an act of worship. It's an act of worship for him. The sins have been taken care of. It's not about trying to root out all those errors that you made. It's what are you focused upon? The contrast is extreme. The church at Corinth, they're coming, they're worried about their own belly. They're eating and drinking and living it up. They're being flippant about it. Here's to Jesus. <laughs> this is about remembering him who has died for us. This is important. Now, notice what Paul says. There are serious consequences. Why should we restore reverence? Because of the consequences. There are consequences to actions. Anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many among you are weak and sick, and a number of you have fallen asleep. And if you have the ESV... It doesn't say asleep, does it? It says dead. Now, if you look up the Greek word, the Greek word doesn't help you out any. <laughs> it's not the word for death. So what, what is going on here? Is Paul saying that eating and drinking in unworthy fashion, irreverently, is he saying that you could die? As in, as my dad would say, graveyard dead? Dead as a hammer? Dead? Deader than a doornail? Dead? Well, John Gill says it means graveyard dead. John MacArthur says it means graveyard dead. R.C. Sproul says it means graveyard dead. Albert Barnes says it means graveyard dead. All of the reliable, trustworthy scholars say it means graveyard dead. It's a metaphor. Asleep. Dead. The consequences of taking the Lord's Supper flippantly or irreverently are high. Are high. Notice the, notice the grace that's extended, however, in this. It's not take the Lord's Supper flippantly and die. Every time, some people are weak and sick. There's judgment that takes place. God correcting his children. Look at verse 3.1. But if we judged ourselves, we would not come under judgment. Only you know the attitude of your heart as you take communion. 
Only you know it. Nobody else does. If you'll examine yourself and correct yourself, you can eat and drink with joy. You can eat and drink with peace if it's an act of worship, devoting, devoting it to Christ to honor Him and commemorate Him. You say, well, I don't like this idea of God disciplining us or, or judging us. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12 and listen to God's word here. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 7. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. For what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it, right? When you were a kid, did you, want, did you, did you turn around to your dad if you got a spanking and say, thanks, dad? Is that what you did? But later on, a long time later, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think? Thanks, Dad. Me and my brother have this little weird sickness. Is, uh, you know, other kids would say, well, my dad would spank me, spank me with a, a paddle. We'd say, sissy. <laughs> my dad spanked us with anything he could grab. <laughs> you kind of brag about the number of spankings you got. And the level, is, it's a weird thing, isn't it? You got... It must be because you guys aren't laughing. (laughs) We thank them for it. We respect them for it later. How much more? Let me pause while I'm talking about that and say, I'm not talking about abuse. I'm not talking about abuse. There is a good and decent way to, to punish your children. My dad spanked my backside. My dad, and thanks be to God, my dad never hit me anywhere but my backside. He never slapped my mouth or cuffed my ear or punched me out. He always smacked me on the derriere, nowhere else. And he never went crazy with it either. He, didn't, he never whipped me till I fell down or till his arm fell off either. He wasn't abusive. Abuse is wrong. And don't, don't, don't use Scripture to justify your bad behavior, your abuse. Don't spank your kids when you're angry. I wish I could say I never spanked my kids when I was angry. But I have. We, can't, we had to be cautious. Don't justify abuse. And in case somebody's here who's in a bad situation, I don't want you to think that I'm saying that you deserve to get knocked around like that. You don't. You don't. Anyway, back to the text. How much more... Verse, Rest of verse nine. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. The Lord chastens His children. He doesn't go right with the atomic death. He he moves gradually, incrementally in his correction, in his chastening of his children. Now this church at Corinth, they'd really gone astray. They had really gone astray. And Paul says, some of you people are sick. Some of you are weak. And some of you have died. 
because of your irreverence for the God who saved you, for Jesus. This is, this is, this is sobering talk. The consequences are severe. This may not be limited only to the Lord's table. It could be limited to your entire attitude about the church itself. The church is important. The church is a blessed thing. And when people do harm or do despite to the Lord's church, they're not going to get by with it. The Lord, if they're a Christian, the Lord's going to chasten them for the harm they do to God's church. If you're here today and you're tempted to do harm to God's church, I want you to be cautious too. I want you to know that God will not let you get by with it. He will get your attention if he's your father. If he's your father. That's what Paul is saying. I always say Paul. That's what Paul's saying in Hebrews 12. He's saying if you are a child of God, God's going to correct you. He's going to chasten you. One of my friends one time in Arkansas, we were talking about the chasing of the Lord. And I said, he said, can you avoid chasing? I said, I can't avoid chasing if I obey the Lord and, you know, if I live right and live clean. He said, but it says every son whom he receives, every son whom he receives. Every child of God is chastened by the Heavenly Father. Every child is. There are serious consequences. Look at verse 32. When we are judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. He makes a distinction. Discipline and condemnation. The loving discipline of the Heavenly Father versus the final eternal condemnation of the judge in the last day. So Paul says, My brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for each other. Don't get in a hurry. Don't move ahead of other people. Wait for each other. Be considerate of one another. Think about what is going on here. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you meet together, it may not result in judgment. Paul says, don't even have a church dinner on Communion Sunday. Lest there be confusion. Only have communion. Only think about Jesus. Only think about Him and His body being broken for you. And His blood being shed for you. And me saying, okay, so what should we do now? Here's four things you should do, okay? Four things. Number one, if you're going to take communion today, you need to be sure that you're saved. That means to put your faith in Jesus, to call upon Him as your Savior, to trust in Him. Not to put your trust in your good works or your baptism or the fact that if you've taken communion a hundred times. Put your faith in Jesus. Jesus has come in this world to save sinners. The Apostle Paul says, it's a, worthy, it's, a, it's a worthy saying, it's a saying worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. Paul was a big-time sinner, and Jesus came into the world to save him, to wash him. And if you put your faith in Christ today, he will wash away your sins. You say, all of them? All of them. He'll cleanse you and make you clean in His sight. And He'll take you as His child. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the right to be called the sons of God. 
Putting your faith in him. Becoming a Christian is putting your faith in Christ. It's calling upon him to save you. He said, I don't know if he'll call me. I don't know if he'll accept me. Romans 10.13 says he will. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Be sure you're saved. Number two, think about your Christian life. Think about your Christian life. It's always a good time to think about your Christian life. You think, well, how are you doing in your Christian life? Are you reading the Bible? Praying? Are you living up to the name Christian? It means to be Christ-like. Are you living up to your Christ-likeness? It's easy to backslide on the Lord, isn't it? It's easy to get away from Him. Communion's a natural time to kind of hit the reset button. I need to think about what I'm doing here. Think about my life of living for Him. I'm a Christian. I'm eating and drinking at His table. That means I'm part of His family. I represent Him. Examine your Christian life. It's a good time to do that. Number three, if during the sermon the Lord convicted you about some sin in your life, I'd just confess it to Him. I'd confess it. And that's not just good for Communion Sunday. That's any Sunday. If you realize you have sin in your life, unconfessed sin, something that the Lord highlights in your mind. When I was a kid, I'm like, I got to stop. I'm not going to tell the story. You ever had just your preachers preaching about something and it just leaps in, leaps in your mind some sin you've committed? You think, why, why, why am I thinking about that right now? Well, confess it. Repent of it. Repent of it. Even if it's the same sin you've repented of a hundred times, confess it to him, and he'll forgive you for it. Number four, as you take communion today, eat it and drink it as an act of worship. An act of worship. I am worshiping Christ. I am honoring his body. I'm honoring his blood. He died for me. I'm drinking in memorial in remembrance of him, of he who loved me and died for me. Let's pray together. (laughs) Heavenly Father, we have looked at this passage of Scripture. It talks about the Lord's table, and I pray, Lord, that some lasting good will come from it. Father, I pray you would help, help me to focus my heart and my mind on you as we go to this next section of our service. I pray, Lord, for the person who is here who is not a Christian. I pray that you would save them. I pray you would make them clean in your sight and they would know it. In Christ's holy name I pray. Amen.